0: Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. All right, well, good morning. My name's Liz Griffin. My husband and I have the privilege of being your pastors. He's not here this morning. Uh, Our son Tate got his tonsils taken out. So he is on dad nurse duty. You can pray for him as he dishes out the meds and handles... All four of our little people at home. But we have the privilege of being your pastors here at Antioch Austin. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a series called Clockwork. And we're talking about God's timing. God's perfect, although not always the way we want it, timing. Right? Has anyone been here the past few weeks? Yes. Okay. So, two weeks ago, J.D. started us off with talking about Esther and we've been looking at this aspect of God's timing through the lens of different people that we see in Scripture. And the first week we looked at Esther and about how God's timing is so purposeful, that she was placed where she was placed for such a time as this. A lot of us know that story, or we've heard that phrase, for such a time as this. And that was sort of Esther's story, that God put her in the right place at just the right time. And it really laid the groundwork, the foundation for our whole series, um, that God timing is perfect and it's on purpose. No matter what we're going through, what we're dealing with, what pace our timing is unfolding at, it's purposeful and it's divine. And then last week, JD talked about Ananias, who we see in the book of Acts. And to recap, Ananias was walking one day and God appeared to, and Jesus um, appeared to him and said, hey, spoke to him and said, there's a man named Saul. And Ananias knew about Saul because he was notorious for persecuting Christians. And, and uh, God said. I've revealed myself to him, and he's waiting for you. He had a vision about you coming and explaining to him what's happening. So Ananias goes, and he finds Saul, who we all also probably know as the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And when Ananias gets there, Saul is blinded. He had this powerful encounter on his way to Damascus, and he was left shooken up and blinded. And Ananias got to explain to him, hey, what you encountered on the way to Damascus was Jesus." And he got to pray for him, regained his sight, Ananias baptized Saul slash the Apostle Paul, and the rest is really history. Yeah, Ananias had a huge part because he said yes in that moment, in that immediate moment. And I personally love the story of Ananias because I get pretty pumped about, like, you know, the life or death kind of faith, that risky faith of like God says, go and you go and all these amazing things like JD did the example with the dominoes. They all just fall right on time. You know, anybody else love those kinds of stories? And we all have a good story. Ananias is an amazing story. You're just like, man, this average day and God says something and he obeys and Christian history has changed. World history has changed from that moment. And I love that story. I love any good story. And I don't know if you were here, that beginning week, but J.D. shared a little bit about our love story. Anybody remember that? Maybe you were there? Okay. Well, I thought, since I love a good story and I think we have a good love story, that I tell you my version (laughs) of the beginning of it. Okay? Like I said, I think it's a good story. Now, I know it's mine and I'm biased, but I'm right also. So, there we go. Um, But the first week, J.D. kind of mentioned that timing is everything and his timing in asking me out was maybe we weren't on the same timing. He mentioned that he asked me out a few times and I said, no, we'd never be more than friends. Um, That happened three to four times. And so he was kind of using that as an example of the timing being off. So I want to give you a little more backstory um, because everyone loves a good love story of what kind of went on. So J.D. and I met in August at a wedding here in Austin, actually, and of a mutual friend and It was towards the end of the wedding and the reception, and he came over and he asked me to dance, and he had a really bad line after that. I don't know if he's told this or not, but so he asked me to dance. We go on the dance floor, and he says, so do you know who I am? That's what he says. Don't ever. Guys, don't. It's bad. Um, But so we, we got to know each other. We had a ton of mutual friends. We found out we were both Baylor students. And so we kind of got to know each other as school started. It was the week before school had started um, at the end of August. And we became friends. We both went to Antioch, Waco. And the friendship started. And I say friendship. That's not what he thought was starting. He thought we were, like, into each other, which we weren't. He was, but not me. And so now you have to understand, at this point in my life, I was – Well, I still am kind of independent, but I was really independent. And I had a lot of uh, career goals and ambitions and things I wanted to accomplish professionally before I got married and settled down. So my plan at this point in my life was to get married in my late 30s, um, have kids maybe in my late 30s. So I was just not really that interested in having any serious relationships. And I had also this very bad habit of dating multiple people at once. I did that numerous times throughout high school and college, which don't do that. It's bad dating advice. Don't do what I did. But I did. So I would, you know, hang out with J.D. some, and I'd also hang out with other guys. I'd go on to coffee with J.D. and numerous other people, and it was fine with me because it was casual, and in my mind, if they all knew about each other, then it wasn't wrong because I wasn't, like, hiding it, you know? So this is happening, and J.D.'s like, all right, I know she's hanging out with other guys, but surely... She's feeling this the way I'm feeling this. So we have these numerous conversations, which is what he referenced, all throughout the fall semester, you know, where he's like, hey, Liz, I really like you. I feel like we have great chemistry. I feel like we are good friends. I see this going somewhere. And I'm just like, no way, no how. No thanks. And so uh, December rolls around. And I something happened on December 2nd, which is my birthday. I went on a date with a guy for lunch, and then J.D. took me out for dinner. So, so he, and again, in my mind, I'm like, they know about this. They know that this is happening, so it's not my fault. I'm off the hook, which is not true. Like, don't be like me. But it was totally selfish. Um, but anyway, so that happened, and J.D. was just really not a fan of being date number two. Um, but he was, and so several other things happened, and through the month of December, he got really, really mad at me, understandably so, but he really did, and so we had kind of stopped talking completely. It was this really big deal. His roommates would call me and be like, you are an idiot, you know, whatever, but so come New Year's Eve in December, JD and I haven't talked for weeks because he's not very happy with me. And um, we are at a mutual friend's wedding, again in Austin, different people, obviously. But again, we're in Austin at a wedding. And uh, it's, like I said, it's New Year's Eve. It's this gorgeous, beautiful wedding out in the hill country. And he's ignoring me, like, the whole night. You know, it's a dance party. He's not asking me to dance, which I'm a really bad dancer, so I don't blame him, but, like, You know, I was kind of miffed. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and this girl, who I will call Julie, she was, like, coming in hot with J.D. And I was not a fan. I was like, J.D., if you dance with her one more time, like, this is what I'm thinking in my brain. I'm watching. I'm like, no, 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 no. I was so mad. Now, I was dating other people, but, like, he could not dance with anybody else. Anyway, um, so I was really, really jealous, which sometimes works. Don't try to make people jealous on purpose, but it does work. It worked on me. So last dance of the night, DJ's like, all right, you know, New Year's Eve, last dance. And so JD comes finally and asks me to dance. Now, we haven't talked in weeks, but we dance. And I don't know what happened. Like I said, I was this super just really independent, kind of stiffed arm, not the sweetest person. But when we danced that night, y'all, I like something changed. I like melted And it freaked me out. So then I'm like, no, we're not talking anymore. You know, I, like, shut him out. So now it's January. Again, we haven't really talked because I freaked out at the whole thing. And I know he still likes me. And I'm realizing, like, oh, maybe I have feelings for him too. And I couldn't handle that. Like, I was too emotionally immature to handle this at this point in my life. And so now, fast forward, it's the end of January. So we've known each other six months. And I am sitting one night in my dorm talking to, I don't remember if it was my roommate or just a friend, and processing out, and it hits me. I like J.D. Like, I don't really like the other guys, but I like him, and I'm an incredibly passionate, impulsive person, so I had to tell him, like, right then. Like, I realized it. And I'm like, okay, we got to go. We have to, I have to, like, find him, and it was like, t- year 2000. And we didn't have cell phones. I mean, they existed, but we didn't have one. So I had to find JD on campus. And it's night. I don't know where he is. But he's always at the library because he's incredibly responsible and diligent and was there every night. I'm not even kidding. So it is downpour. Okay, picture this. 18 year old or 19 year old Liz. It is like thunderstorm, heavy rain and wind. And I take off out my dorm because I have to tell this guy I like him. And I run across Baylor campus and finally arrive at the library. I'm soaking wet, mascara down my face, soaking wet, out of breath, and I'm just booking it through all the different little odds and ends of of the library, going down the aisles. I'm seeing people who he normally studies with. I'm like is JD here? You know, and they're like, what is wrong with you, woman? Like, you are a hot mess. And, you know, they're like, no, he's not here. And I just am off. And I go through all the different levels. And, you know, I finally realize he's not there. So I run back to my dorm, again, soaking wet through the rain. I'm a mess. And I get in my car and I drive as fast as I can to his house on Clay Avenue. And I pull in his muddy gravel driveway and like skid in. And I run up to the door, and I'm pounding on the door, again, like, look like a wet cat. Not my cutest moment, I'm sure. And he opens the door. It's probably 11 at night, and I've been running around literally looking for him for an hour. And he opens the door, and he stares at me, and I'm out of breath. I'm like, I like you. (laughs) Like, you, I like you, and I had to tell you, and I had to tell you right now. And he stares at me, and he goes, well, what does this mean? Because I, you know, I'm like so all over the place. And I go, I don't know. And he looks at me and the, the rain pounding it was like such a romantic moment, like a movie moment. And, and he looks at me and he goes, well, you better figure it out. <laughs> and we've been together ever since. But I figured it out real fast. I was like, okay, you're right. Like I need to get my act together. And we've been together ever since. So that's a little bit, right? It's a good story. It's a good story. And we all love good stories, but you know what we don't love are the not great stories. I love telling my, that flirt, meet cute, like that moment when everyone's just like, oh my gosh, it's so romantic, you know. And then we, like we, we met at this wedding in Austin. We asked me to dance, and then I fell in love with him dancing again in Austin. And then we got engaged in Austin, and we had our first date in Austin. He took me clubbing on 6th Street. He'd never been. He didn't know what it was. He had no idea. He just asked people, like, what do you go do in Austin on a date? And they're like, oh, yeah, go to 6th Street. Don't don't do that on a date in Austin. Anyway, like, and now we live here. And it's this, like, really sweet story. But what's not a good story is yesterday. Yesterday's not a great story. Uh, Yesterday, J.D. took Sophie to band tryouts because she's going to be in middle school next year, which, Lord help me, that I have a kid about to be in middle school. But so he took her to that, and I took Kevin to a soccer practice and then came home, and it was birthday party times. There were three birthday parties that happened yesterday, so I had to, you know, we wrapped presents, and we ran, shuttled everyone to birthday parties and did more laundry than I ever want to see again in my life. And it was a really boring, non-interesting day. And honestly... As much as you sit there and you're like, oh, what a sweet story that they have. Most of our days are really uninteresting and boring, right? And no one really wants to hear about what I did yesterday. We want to hear that, like, romantic, glamorous start off because that's what we like. We like the beginnings. We don't like the messy, mundane, boring middles. Like, we don't care about the middle. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the boring, uninteresting middle that life is for pretty much everybody. And today we're going to look at it through the perspective of Noah. That is going to be our biblical reference today. And a lot of you, even if you've never been to church, you're probably familiar with this story of Noah. He was in the Old Testament, and Scripture tells us that he was a righteous man And the world was a total mess. It was incredibly evil and violent. And really Noah and his family were the only good people left. And so God decides that he needs to, um, he's going to flood the earth. He's going to scratch it and start over again. And so he tells Noah, hey, build this ark. And I want you and your family to go in it. I'm going to send all this rain. The earth is going to flood. I want you to build this big boat. You're going to bring in two of all the animals and your family, and you're going to go in this boat, and I'm going to save you, and you're going to really rebuild humanity after that, right? No big deal. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a big deal, actually. So that's the story of Noah, right? It's amazing. It's legendary. It's on all the, if you've had a baby, it's like nursery decor everywhere. It's like Noah and the Ark. Like, everyone knows it, and it's an incredible story. It's a good story to tell, but there's uh, a part of the story that we miss, And it's about 59 years of boring middle where nothing really happened. And we're going to jump into Genesis 6, if you'll look with me. We're going to read together. Genesis 6, starting in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all, the, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are going to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. And finish it to a cubit above. And then set the door of the ark in the side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female and of the birds according to their kinds, and of the kinds of animals according to their kinds, and of every creepy thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in with you to keep them alive, and also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store upon it. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this, and he did all that that God commanded them. Now God is so thorough that he told Noah exactly what to do. This is exactly what's going to happen. This is exactly how you're going to build it. And archaeologists, historians, Bible scholars all have very different views of about how long it would have taken Noah to build the the ark, given all the parameters laid out here in Scripture about its size, what it's made of, all of those things. Now, I took the average of most of what I found and came up with 59 years. It was probably longer than that. But for the sake of today, in our language, we'll say 59 years. So there was 59 years. If God gives Noah this big promise, this, hey, this is what... This is what I'm going to do with your life, this is what I'm going to do through you, and it's a pretty big promise. And then there's just 59 years of building an arc, 59 uneventful years before there was a meaningful end of the story. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but um, can you relate to something in your life starting? Maybe it's a business, maybe it's something in your marriage, maybe it's healing from a place of pain? a degree, and you're like super pumped, super pumped, and you're like ready to go, and you start it, and you have all this energy and all this vision, and you're going, and and you're going, and you're still going, and you're going, and it's like, okay, God, where's the finish line? Like, did you forget? We are now on mile 28 of a marathon. Like, this should be over by now, God, right? Have you been in a place like that in life where you're kind of like, how much longer for the love, you know? Like, I'm tired of building a stupid boat for 59 years, you know? And we're all out there. And different ones of us sitting here today, you're out there building your own boat. And whether that's something going on that you're contending for in your marriage or you're fighting for that depression to get, to get uh, underway or something going on in your family or with your roommate, and you had a lot of vision at the beginning, and now you feel like you're just in the boring, mundane middle of hammer, nails, wood, repeat, every day, over and over again. It's not glamorous anymore. It's not glorious anymore. It doesn't make a good story anymore. Do you ever hate it when you, you're maybe trying to, to build a business or, or grow something, and people ask for, like, an update, and there is no update? You're like, well, I'm, it's still right here, you know? Like, how's that book you're working on? Yeah. I'm still there, you know? How's that goal you're trying to achieve? And you're just still there. And it's the most embarrassing, humiliating, and frustrating thing. Because you're doing everything in your power. Everything that God asks you to do. And you're still stuck in the messy middle. And you begin to ask, has God lost track of time? This surely is not supposed to take so long. Because we live in a culture that glorifies speed of anything, right? Like instant success. That's what all the documentaries are about. And when we read even stories like Noah, we read them about, oh God, you know, God said this, and then he, then he made the boat and then the flood and it all came true. But what we don't realize is that in that legendary story, there's 59 uneventful days that Noah probably was like, I hate boats. I hate them. Because really, Noah was a construction worker, it wasn't some glamorous thing. We're not talking about people slaving away. It wasn't even like he was a cool thing like a spy or curing cancer. He was just doing construction work for 59 years, waiting for God to bring about what he said he was going to do. And, you know, I, I grew up in church, and with the felt boards, anyone have felt boards? Anyone old like me and you had felt boards and, like, the little things you'd stick up? No, nope, just me. I'm going to keep going. Okay. But uh, the felt boards, and you see, and they tell the story of Noah, and, you know, you, you hear it from the lens of, and he was so brave, and he kept his faith, and people ridiculed him, and they made fun of him, that he's building this ark, and it hasn't ever really rained like what, the, what he's saying is going to rain. And he would preach to the people. They'd come, and they'd make fun of him, and he would preach to them, tell them about God. And maybe he did, but that actually isn't in Scripture. God doesn't actually mention any of that about Noah. We don't know that he did anything particularly noble other than do construction work for 59 years. What God does take the time to tell us about Noah is that he was righteous. That he had good character. That in 58 years of just hammer, nails, wood, repeat, he had good character. He was faithful and he was righteous. Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and he acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness of the believing world. And as a result, Noah became intimate with God. God doesn't honor him. Hebrews 11, it's it's a famous passage where um, key figures are honored. And he isn't honored for building a huge boat that is like surpassed what anyone had seen. He was honored for who he was. And I think that tells us something of how God sees us. That God doesn't care about what we build. He cares about who we are in the messy middle, the boring middle, when you're tired of being a dental assistant and you're thinking, I really wanted, I really thought I was going to do something great with my life, right? And I'm a dental assistant. Are you gonna be righteous in the messy middle while you're waiting for that promise to come to pass? Genesis 6-9 is where he says he was righteous. And what do we do, though, in those years of waiting, of being like, you know, I started off on this, and I thought, I thought God was going to come through. I thought something really big was going to happen in my life, right? And it's hard when you're in those 59 years, and I don't know if you've ever been in this place, but you start before someone, and they finish before you, right? Like, maybe you're the one in your, of your roommates who really wants to get married, and you're now the only one that's not engaged, or you started a business and you coached people how to do it and their business grew like 20 times bigger. That happened to me. I had a consulting business and this one client, I told her all my tips and she did them and now she like has this huge best-selling book. (laughs) I was like, good, I'm glad that worked for you. Like, that's not really fair, you know? Like, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Like, you know, come on, God, this is not, I'm still out here building a boat and it seems like everyone else is just moving faster and you feel stuck. And I know in a room this size, that you feel stuck in different areas. It could be in your personal life. It could be something at work, just a dream, something God's put in your heart. So what do we do in those 59 years of hammer, nails, wood, repeat, day after day? Scripture tells us, if you'll read with me, Galatians 6-9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Hebrews 6:10 through eleven says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continued to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. And I love this one, guys. Luke twenty-one, nineteen, it says, Stand firm and you will win life. that good? Stand firm and you will win life. You want to win your race, stand firm. Don't give up. You want to see the promise of God happen. You want to see that dream that you had so much energy for when it began. That business you were so passionate about. That cause that you burned to give your life for and now you find yourself in a job that doesn't seem to align with it. And nothing really makes sense. And all you know is that you're just in the middle of boring, repetitive days. You know how you win is you don't stop. You don't give up. You stand firm and you will win life. You know what we like as a culture when it comes to timing is we like big, we like fast, and we like public. We want God to come through quickly, immediately. He gives us something. There's a longing in our heart. We want it now. Maybe we can pray for a year, but after a year, it's like, come on, God, really? Like, let's do this already, and we want it big. You know, we want the big audience. We live in a culture where it's how many followers you have, how many likes you have, and it's easy. I'm a mom. I have four kids, and it's easy for me to see people and be like, wow, they must be important. What they say goes out on these huge podcasts to thousands of people. What I say goes to eight little ears, you know? So therefore, that must be more important. That must be bigger. That must be more important to God because he sure showed up for her and I'm still here in my living room folding clothes saying, put it down, don't bite him, stop, right? Because it's how we perceive honor. It's how we perceive importance. But it's not what scripture says. And we also love public, right? We want people to know when God comes through. It's hard when you're fighting a private battle it's hard when you are out there slaving away for that coworker. when you are doing the hard work to keep your marriage together. It's hard to fight and keep fighting when no one seems to see it. Right? We love it when God comes through and everyone celebrates. But when you are out there doing the hard work and you are tired and you feel alone and you're like, no one would even know if I gave up. No one even sees me out here. You know, when we were in the process of adopting, it took us six years to adopt the twins that we adopted. And in that process, um, we saw so many people bring home kids who started after us. And they had, like, zero complications. Their kids had zero complications. They didn't have big trauma. They didn't have all these things. And we're sitting there being like, what about us, God? Like, this isn't fair. You know, they had. They didn't have to go raise a bunch of money to adopt. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of whatever. Because in our minds, in my mind, I equate fast, big, public with good, with better, with important, with honorable. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture actually lays a lot of uh, foundational work of, you know what? No, it's in the 59 years. Will you keep your character? Will you not give up hope? Will you keep righteousness In the front, will you not grow weary of doing good so that at God's timing, He will come through? And I want you to go ahead and stand up with me now. Stand firm. And I just feel like there's some people who need to hear this today who are tired, who are in year 35 of building a boat, and you're just like, I don't know when the end's coming, I don't know how much longer. I can do this. You know what? Don't give up. This is not the day that you quit. This is not the week you quit. This is not the year that you quit. The breakthrough, the promise, the faith you have, this is when we press in. You're 35, you're 42, press in harder than you did at the beginning. That faith that you started off with, lean in harder, go bigger, believe stronger, because this is not the time to quit. Stand firm and don't give up. And I just want everyone to close your eyes. And if you feel comfortable, extend your hands. And I want you to think about the place that you feel you're just out there as a construction worker, building a boat. Because see, all of us are ordinary, average people who dream of changing the world. And we have to trust God in his timing. in his purposes. And God, I ask this morning for every person who is thinking about that place that they feel stuck, that they feel like they're just out in a field building a huge boat to no end. God, would faith rise up in their hearts? Would courage rise up in their hearts? God, may we be a people, may we be a church who don't quit. That we would stand firm until the end, God. Because we say ultimately, we trust you and your timing, God. Forget fast, big, and public. God, we want to be people of character. We want to be people of faithfulness, of consistency, of righteousness. God, would we be those people that we don't want to take shortcuts? God, we want your timing. We want your process.